0: Let's look at Isaiah 14, if you will, or if if you have a Bible. If not, you can just listen. Um, This will be interesting today. So I'm I'm just going to read this passage and then just start commenting, and I have a few others I want to look at, but we'll see where it goes. So in verse 3 of Isaiah 14, it says, It shall come to pass. Now, Isaiah is prophesying to Israel, who has been in Babylonian captivity. So that's the context. And he says, it shall come to pass in the day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. Now, first thing I want you to notice is who's being talked about. This is important. I'm not insulting your intelligence, I promise. You'll see why I'm emphasizing this right now when we get a few verses later. Who's he talking to? The king of Babylon, right? And take up a proverb. What's a proverb? Well, it's a wise saying, but it's often symbolic. It's not something that's meant to be taken literally. Right? So he says, "...how the oppressor has ceased and the the golden city ceased." Again, talking about Babylon. "...the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke." He who ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you. The cedars of Lebanon saying, so trees are talking here for our literalist friends. Since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. Hell from beneath you is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. They shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought down to Sheol or to the grave or to hell and the sound of your stringed instruments. The maggot is spread under you and the worms cover you. How you are fallen from heaven. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down from the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the most high, yet you will be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit, and those who see you will gaze at you. And consider you saying, watch this, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisons, etc. But the point is, and and then he goes on even later and says, like a corpse, you will be trodden underfoot. So clearly from start to finish, who's being talked about here? The king of Babylon, right? A king. And he says... I'm speaking poetically, I'm taking up a proverb, talks about trees, saying stuff, and then says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Now somehow in the second century, the church fathers found the devil in that verse, or found the devil in that passage. It's no wonder the church is so confused. (laughs) Because one of the things they teach you, like when you go to Bible college, and I did go to Bible college, um, one of the things they teach—I graduated (laughs) summa cum laude. One of the things they teach you is what they call, you know, principles of hermeneutics, and they say hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. And they say you have to take it, the literal meaning, unless the literal meaning does not make sense, then you take a symbolic meaning. But they're always, you know, pounding into you, take it in context. You can't just take it out of context and make it say something it doesn't say. But somehow we have this idea that there was this angel called Lucifer who rebelled against God and became the devil. And this is the only passage that we have to go by. Are you breathing? Yeah. Now, that causes such a real problem. Because <laughs> there are people who, I mean, really, for centuries, think about it. The Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, all the Protestant churches, the charismatic churches, they're all, you know, fighting this devil. That they, they How do we know? How do we know any of this happened? Well, it's, it's right there in the Bible. Can you see it? Now, here's the interesting thing. The, the word Lucifer is a Latin word that did not get translated into English. If the original Hebrew word had been translated into English, it would read, "Oh, morning star, Lucifer, the word means the morning star, or the morning and the evening star, because it's actually the Hebrew reference for the planet Venus. Now, long before the church fathers came up with this idea that there was an angel in the hierarchy that rebelled against God and got thrown out of heaven almost every culture going all the way back to the times that predated the Jews and Abraham, going back to the Ur of the Chaldees where Abraham came from, and you look at the uh, Sumerian literature, and I mean, it's, it's in myths all over the world, that there are these pantheons of gods. Now please understand <laughs> that all the Catholic Church did was take the pantheons and make them angels. Letting that sink in just a little bit. A pantheon means many gods. So there's this myth of this one ruler god, usually. In Norse mythology, it's Odin. In Greek mythology, it's Zeus. In the uh, Chaldean literature, it's a god named El, who later the Israelites adopt and merge with Yahweh. Yahweh. But in the Chaldean myth, there's uh, a god Ahtar that decides he's going to rebel against El and rises up and gets thrown out and cast down to the earth. Now, why would this archetype, this mythology, be present in all these other myths and including the Catholic Church that we inherited it from? Because ancient people took their stories from the stars so Venus is significant. How that you can see it at twilight. So therefore, it is the the morning star and the evening star. It's also the brightest star. It's the one that comes the closest to competing with the sun. And if you watch the stars, what you notice is that Venus eventually, as the Earth is rotating or, or making its you know circle around the sun, that Venus eventually. Disappears. Falls and disappears. So you have the story, so then they created this story of where the primary god is represented by the sun. (laughs) And then the stars, the planets specifically that moved around, they were also perceived as gods, not as other worlds. And so it appeared in the sky that a god had rebelled, thought he could be as bright and as great, and tried to challenge the sun. And the sun cast him down. So, all Isaiah is doing is he's using the stars to retell the story of what was happening to the king of Babylon as a prophecy to a community that was leaving Babylon to give them hope. That's the entire meaning of the passage. Are you breathing? So I want to look at. Let me do it this way. Somebody asked me Wednesday night about ego, and you know. So here's what I see. Most people on a spiritual path, like like having come out of really, I, I was never a fundamentalist. I've always been a contrarian. I've always been a bit of a rebel. <laughs> so. So I was never a fundamentalist, but definitely those were the circles that I traveled in. And I was completely sold out and committed to that and dove right into it and experienced it. And through my own experience and study and learning, could see what I perceive from my perspective to be some of the errors within those sort of evangelical, particularly charismatic Christian circles. And then having departed from that and explored other spiritual paths and spiritual traditions, I see some of the same principles (laughs) or mistakes couched in different language. So, as far as I can tell, there are two primary spiritual paths that people eventually end up taking. (laughs) The first path, some people call it the right hand path. We'll just use that terminology because I like it. Is this idea that we eradicate the ego, that we get completely rid of the ego, and that leads to this mystical sense of oneness with God and everything, and ultimately leads to us becoming light. Here's what I mean. Like one of the problems that I began to have within Christianity, besides the fact that there really was no spiritual path, there was salvation, but there was no path for spiritual development. Pray, read the Bible, speak in tongues if that was your thing. Come to church, pay your tithe. Study the Bible, and we equated spiritual growth with intellectual growth right so there really wasn 't a, a, a pathway there but but there was a lot of value judging and dehumanizing of <laughs> let, let 's just put it this way: certain instinctual drives uh, Sigmund Freud said that in the unconscious part of part of what um, is left over from our evolution, uh, time and animal (laughs) instincts, that people have deep, unconscious primary urges for birth and death, or to procreate or kill, or sex and violence. Much of what is proposed and put forth within Christian circles demonizes those two aspects of life, both creation or sex. I mean, they're obsessed with sex. And the reason they are, (laughs) the reason I know they are, is because that's the one sin that's the deal breaker. Seriously. Like if a minister falls, they don't fall because they were gossiping. They don't fall because they broke confidentiality. They don't fall because their doctrine's screwy. They fall usually, sometimes even embezzling gets covered up. You see what I'm saying? So that's that's the big stigma one, right? But the other one is, it deals with this whole thing of aggression. Because you have to forgive, you have to turn the other cheek... And so people end up going into denial about where they're really at. Um, It it can become a horrible paradigm for people who have really been victimized because there's no healing or empowerment that comes first. And I'm going to tell you something. That aggression is needed as part of your survival instinct. So so sex is needed to to keep the race going, right, And and life. And aggression is there to protect you so that you can sustain life. So actually what we're talking about is life-giving forces. that become judged, demonized, and shoved into the dark. But then I've noticed on this other path, there's like this other path, uh, the, the other group, they're basically trying to do the same thing. They're trying to eradicate. They're, they're, they're trying to really become non-human. Let's get rid of the ego. Let's get rid of our Individual sense of self. Let's just merge into oneness with the universe and God and with all things and see everything from that paradigm, and then our light will just shine. It's the gospel of eradication, and so people get a hold of, okay, I got, I got to get past my ego. My ego's bad, right? you know. My ego, see, my ego is my problem. And I am not in favor because <laughs> it's impossible. It's a pipe dream. You have to have an ego. I would argue you have to have a strong ego. The problem is is when your ego <laughs> is when your energies are fighting against yourself. Are you breathing? I'd like to suggest to you that there's another path. <laughs> I'm giving you kind of two extremes, perhaps. That there's another path, some people call it the left-hand path, Abraham Maslow called it self-actualization. That there is another path of self-actualization, of, of releasing your most authentic and highest self. Rather than self-eradication, getting rid of the ego, it's self-development and expression. The ancient alchemists had a term for it, they called it the magnum opus. Or the great work <laughs> that you raise all the qualities and potentials within yourself to become godlike. So I want to, um, if you'll bear with me a little folly as the apostle Paul says in some of his letters, I want to spend the rest of the time this morning advocating for the adversary. And there was silence in Pueblo for the space of 30 minutes. I want you to watch this again. Listen to this again. How you are fallen from heaven, O light bearer, O morning, son of the morning, O Venus, but he's a light bearer. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations now when he says for you have said in your heart he's not giving you the reason he was cut down you superimpose that onto the text he's giving you a description (laughs) watch this for you have said in your heart I will ascend into heaven now you know right there it's not an angel that fell from heaven because he wouldn't have to ascend So here's a guy in his heart that wants ascension. All right? I will exalt my throne above God. Is that what it says? Yeah, but see, we were always taught he rebelled against God and thought he could be like God, you know, take his place. But that's not what he said. He said above the stars of God. In other words, I want to be the brightest star. I want my light to shine bright. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I too will sit in the farthest sides of the north. What if we take out the presupposition that there's anything wrong with those ambitions? Because if you believe there's something wrong with those ambitions, then you have to throw away 99% of what spirituality is in the world today, both Christian and non-Christian. Because both groups talk about ascension. And after all, weren't we taught in Christian circles that we needed to become like Christ? And weren't we taught that Christ was God? So aren't we supposed to aspire to be like the Most High? (laughs) Are you breathing? So I'd like to suggest to you that there is a spiritual path (laughs) that I would almost call the path of the spiritual rebel or the spiritual warrior, <laughs> or essentially the essence of awakening. See, your problem is not your ego. Your problem is <laughs> your internalized programming and patterns that do not really belong to your highest self or your most authentic self. Our problem is that we wear masks and costumes... That we wear false selves. We feel we wear selves that we don't feel fully congruent with. We wear selves that uh, don't really bring us. Uh, that that we're, we're not able to bring forth the fullness of who we are because we've internalized so many programs from traum- traumatic experiences, from the way we were raised as, as children, from what we were taught was right and wrong, from what religion did to us, from all these different things that we have internalized that leave us with with Conflicts within ourselves, so that we become divided against ourselves, we become double-minded, we become we, we, we create blocks within ourselves, and one of the worst ways that we do this is we judge as right or wrong, good or bad, the urges that we have. <laughs> if I'd have just started out you know with this message saying let's let's all be like Lucifer <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's the power of that judgment. And yet, if we just look at it and we're honest, we're taught, hey, let's ascend, let's let our light shine, let's let our light shine as bright as it possibly can, let's be like the Most High. And there's nowhere in there, he says, he's trying to get above God. He's trying to get to the high. Because what I'm going to attempt to show you is a totally different look at Jesus and a totally different look at the cross, because I want to suggest to you that Jesus took the rebel path. I want to suggest to you that Jesus as a spiritual warrior, that he was not advocating this path of just self-destruction and egoless life and no self-development. I want to suggest to you that it was the exact opposite, that Jesus was walking the path of the adversary, but we don't see it. But it's very clear in Scripture that Jesus is walking the path of the adversary in order that he can self-actualize the I am, the divine essence and spark, in order that he might become, now bear with me, oh, this is going to get me in trouble, but bear with me because I will back this up in Scripture, that he himself would become a Lucifer. Don't look at me with those tone of eyes. <laughs> John's Gospel makes this clear. If, if if you get the chance, years ago they made a movie um, called The Gospel of John that was just verbatim. It was just the portrayal of Jesus. Every portrayal of Jesus I had ever seen, like Jesus of Nazareth, the movie. Um, you know, I don't remember all those movies. The Day Christ, I mean, there was a bunch of them. That they made, you know, a long time ago, it, it presents a certain caricature, an idea of who he is. That's the idea of the director, producer, scriptwriter, whatever. This this Jesus does not go off script. And I remember watching. It's one thing to read it, but I remember watching it acted out, and I'm like, this guy, Jesus, is contentious. He is a rebel rouser. He is starting conflicts everywhere he goes. He could, I mean, he knows they're gonna get pissed off at him for healing on the Sabbath. And he could have healed on Monday or Sunday or waited till sundown or anything. And he goes right in the synagogue. And he doesn't pull him off in the parking lot somewhere. He doesn't pull him off, oh, let's protect your privacy. He, he, and he knows, cause women, like the, this woman who's bent over, right, like they can't even participate in the synagogue. Like, like, and he calls her up, which means he brings her into the synagogue. Number one offense. And you've got to understand, every Jewish person in the time of Jesus woke up every morning and they said this prayer. Lord, I thank you that you did not make me a Gentile. I thank you that you did not make me a slave. And I thank you that you did not make me a woman. And in that time, it's really true, your donkey was more valuable to you than your wife. So Jesus brings this woman who can't who isn't supposed to even hear the Torah. They said in, in, in the Talmud, in the Talmud, like these people want to go back to the Jewish roots. And they're always quoting the Talmud or Machmonides or whatever. Don't let them fool you. I'm gonna tell you there's some there's some stuff in the Talmud you don't want. It makes Sharia law look like progress. Because they said it's better to burn the Torah, the law, the, the Bible, than teach it to a woman. So Jesus brings this woman up on a Sabbath and heals her and calls her a daughter of Abraham. You couldn't be a daughter of Abraham because frankly you couldn't get circumcised and that's what made you a child of Abraham. No woman had ever been called a daughter of Abraham before. I mean, the guy is going against the system. He's going against absolutely everything. He is completely going against the current. He is a complete rebel rouser and that's why they killed him. Just a couple of places, John chapter 7 says this, he says, uh, verse 1, After these things Jesus walked into Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. <laughs> Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was his hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. So he's going against his family. He's going against his upbringing. He's going against the entire culture. Why? To actualize who he is. All right, let's go over to um, <laughs> chapter eight, verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, "Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon?" And Jesus answered and said, "I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me." <laughs> do we not say rightly? That you're a Samaritan. They despise the Samaritans. And that you are a demon. You never get called a demon when you conform. You never get called a demon when you go with the flow. (laughs) You know, you only, and, 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 and this is a tactic. Listen, listen, I'm going to tell you something. The number one tactic people use to shut you down. The the worst enemy that we have on our spiritual path is shame and shaming. And there is no shame like religious shame. If my parents shame me, I can grow up and realize that's my parents. If my parents shame me in the name of God, then I, then I believe God is the one that's shaming me. The Creator is the one that is shaming me. And then if it's reinforced by my societal structure because I'm raised in church, so I'm raised in a family that shames me in the name of God. I'm raised in a church structure that shames me in the name of God. I internalize layers and layers of shame, which does what? Which causes me to push exiles, literally, parts of myself, energies, things that are looking for expression within myself, I push them out into the realm of exile, become cut off from them. I become cut off from myself. I become at war with myself. I become duplicitous. And so we become parts of communities that are trying to just be light. We're all about light. We're all about love. We're all about all these things, but we can't practice it we're jealous of each other, we're envious of each other, we're talking about each other behind uh, each other's backs, and it's co- it's a complete contradiction. But we're over here saying, oh, we're just light, we're just love, we're just this. But then in the, in the dark, we're all this other stuff, and we can't admit it to ourselves, because if we admit it to ourselves, then this is a lie. And if this is a lie, and we've devoted ourselves to it, we, can, we can't own up to that. Corporate shaming. My God, churches where people, some of you came out of them, you know, where a person has an issue in their private life. And they have to confess it before the church. Why? So we can have corporate shaming. So we can leverage the power of shame in order to keep you in line. And all those things destroy the self, weaken the self, and it does not cause your light to shine. It puts your light out. It puts your lamp under a bushel and under a bed. And here's the thing. When it's when it's religious shaming and spiritual shaming, it becomes internalized because you believe that's the reality of how God thinks. Right? And everybody has to conform to one pattern. That's the problem. Everybody has to conform to one pattern. There's one pattern that comes from the Creator that's right for everybody in every circumstance and in every situation. That's the religious lie. So we cannot, so your perspective, though it may be completely different from mine, cannot possibly be as valid as my perspective because I'm being informed by the mind of Christ. Your path can't possibly be as valid as my path because I have the truth and you have a lie. I'm in the light, you're in the dark. I'm of God, you're of Belial and... Beelzebub and, but understand when, when Jesus came to his own, his own did not receive him. When he, when he, when he came to those that, that had the Torah, when he came to those who, who were following the one true God, the most high God, and all of that, they could not recognize him. He was a light bearer in their midst, but instead of calling him a light bearer, they called him a devil, because he's walking the path of the adversary. John ten, verse thirty-one. <laughs> then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, which means they tried it before. Listen, stoning was a religious penalty. It was as a penalty for breaking a religious law, something in the Torah, going against the scriptures. And Jesus answered and said, Many good works I have shown you from my father, for which of these do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, watch this, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Right above that, I forgot to read it, he says, I and my Father are one. If that isn't sitting on the farthest sides of the north, above the stars of the, cl- of the heavens, and <laughs> being like the Most High, and I too shall sit there, I don't know what is. So watch how the story unfolds. Why did they seek to kill him? Because he had the same ambition as Lucifer, and Lucifer was the adversary. So it was easy to equate him with a demon. Are you breathing? Are you sure? (laughs) For none of your good works do we seek to kill you, but because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Therefore, Rome crucified him because he was a rebel rouser. Are you the king of the Jews? And we, we have this terrible translation in the Greek, you know, there are Easter plays and everything. He stands before Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? And he says, whatever you say, when in reality it's as, it's as you say. Or a better translation in our vernacular, you bet I am. Guaranteed his death sentence. He would not deny that he claimed to be God. The Jews killed him and handed him over to the Romans because of blasphemy. So what if the cross, rather than... Re- oh, my Lord. I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think both paths are valid. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But we have always been taught that the, cru- the cross is the right-hand path. It's the death of the ego. It's the sacrifice of the self. The sacrifice of the lower self for the higher self. But primarily, the image of a man dying on a cross, particularly in the culture in which it stood, was the symbol of the adversary. Only two people could be crucified. (laughs) If you were were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be crucified. So two, two things... That had to happen for you to be crucified. Number one, you had to be an outsider. You had to be not a Roman citizen. And number two, you had to be seditious. In other words, you had to be a rebel. You had to be a threat to the state. So because he said he was king of the Jews, they put up their king of the Jews. So they're crucifying him as a rebel. Think, think about this. We have, you know, beautiful crosses and crucifixes in churches all over. we got a cross out there uh, that we inherited from the last group. But think about this. If Jesus lived today, and, you know, a Jesus figure, and the story happened in our time, then people would have, they would walk into churches 2,000 years from now, and there would be a man in a gas chamber or on an electric chair, propped up there and they'd be how crazy would that look but what is that that's the picture of a rebel and an adversary Uh... we've said no it's it's a picture of an angry God appeasing us with the death of his own son let's see what the Bible actually says look at this in Acts chapter 2 this is so powerful Verse 22. Acts 22, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you with miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know also, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken, you have taken, and by lawless hands have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Then I'm going to skip down. And he says... uh, Uh, Verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and in his tomb with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath... Uh, that of the fruit of his body according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on a throne he foreseeing spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus has God raised up of which we are all witnesses therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he poured, him out, that, he poured out that which you now both hear and see so here's the point what, what, Think. go back to Lucifer what did he say I'm going to above the clouds I'm going to sit on the farthest sides of the north I'm going to ascend my throne above the stars of God I'm going to be like the most high but what, is it, what does it say but you will be cast down to the earth you will be thrown down to the depths of Sheol so here is Jesus the rebel who is breaking from all of the societal contracts that are contrary to the full manifestation of his light throwing off Authorities and thrones and bondages that were preventing him from the full expression of his most authentic and highest self. Playing the role of the spiritual warrior, not antagonizing for the sake of antagonizing, but rather for the sake of self-actualization the word sin means to miss the mark what if there is not a law that is a mark, an absolute right and wrong for everybody that that is missing the mark what if missing the mark is the little compromises that we make with our families, with with cultural agreements that, that cause us to separate ourselves, push ourselves off into the dark and prevent us from our most authentic self expression so therefore we miss the mark of fully becoming our I am, of fully allowing our light to shine, what if in order for our light to shine we also have to take the path of lucifer and what if in jesus in taking that path because he was going to exalt himself and he would not back down off of his declaration that he was god that he was the son of god that he and the father are one it caused him to be cast down through crucifixion because society rejected him and killed him and even peter says that his soul was in sheol And everybody looked at him and said, is this the man? Because when he's at the cross, they said, is this the man that healed? Is this the man that raised the dead? Why doesn't he call Elijah to get him down off the cross? What if, bear with me a little folly, Isaiah 14 is actually a prophetic picture of Christ, and we made it about the devil. And what if the power of his resurrection is this? What if what Peter's really saying is, "Look, you, you thought he was, you thought he was a rebel, <laughs> you thought he was lawless, you've taken him by lawless hands, and you have slain him, but God has raised him up. God has justified him. God has exalted him for his works to the highest place, seating him at the right hand of God. Oh. You ready for this? Come with me to Revelation, the end of the book. The end of the book. Revelation twenty two. Two more verses. Maybe. I just I want you to get this, and I know this is so radical. So I want you to see I didn't just make this up to be a rebel rouser Watch this says, Revelation twenty two sixteen I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you of these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Watch this, the bright and morning star. He actually said, I am the root of David, and I am Venus. I am Lucifer. At the end of the book, that's the last statement he makes about himself. In Revelation chapter 2, he tells the saints that are in Thyatira, I think, he tells them, uh, to him who overcomes, I will give... Venus, the morning star. Peter says, in 2nd Peter, he says, he says, keep on the path that you're on until the morning star rises in your heart. Paul says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he made us alive. What does it mean to be alive? To have expression. See the right, this, this, this path of we gotta get rid of the ego, we gotta do all this stuff is a path of death. We, we've gotta lose and, and give and, and, and die. And Christianity tells us that when you come in you have to die, but Paul didn't say that. Paul said you were already dead. You were already dead because you were walking according to the course of this world. Look it up in Ephesians chapter 2. You were walking according to the course of this world but though you were dead in your trespasses and sins God who was rich in mercy has made you alive together with Christ and has raised you up Oh, has raised you up and seated you where? Above the stars of God. He has seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Far above principalities and powers and might and dominion. What did He do? He says I'm going to take you and i am going to quicken your light i am going to quicken your authentic self by the power of the spirit and i am going to raise you up above the stars of god i am going to raise you up above the clouds i am going to seat you in the congregation in the farthest sides of the north so that you can be like the most high But we have to embrace the path of a spiritual warrior. We have to stop just just digesting everything we're fed because it comes from our favorite teacher or it makes sense to us in the moment. Uh, Some of us have to die to trying to be that little goody two-shoes. Some (laughs) of you need because it's a total mask. You need to admit that your little goody two-shoes, light-bearing, whatever, is a complete and total mask. It's a part of you, but it's not the fullness of you. And it doesn't have to be the fullness of you because there's value. Even the Bible says that God will give us the treasures that are in the darkness. I'm going to tell you something. We are better served rather than just trying to be light workers and light bearers. We are better served to become twilight warriors that are able to take the light side of us and the dark side of us and blend it together. Because Venus doesn't <laughs> Venus always shines its best at twilight that's why it's the evening and the morning star we're, we're, we're... <sighs> I talked about Cain and Abel last week maybe next week we'll talk about Jacob and Esau twins, same story Esau's the shadow self, Jacob's the good self Esau represents the masculine energies. Jacob represents the feminine energies. Because Esau was out in the field hunting and Jacob was a mama's boy at home cooking. That's why his dad, Isaac, favored him. But Isaac, who represents the father, is blind when he blesses. And he blesses Esau, and he blesses Jacob. And I'm here to tell you that God blesses your mess, your darkness, your death wishes, your, your Sexuality, your, all, all those all those parts of yourself. See, what I, if, you, if you want to take this path? I'm going to tell you right now, you have to come into a place of deep, deep, deep self acceptance and self love, where you're passing judgment on no one and no thing. I could have shown you passages in John where Jesus said, "I judge no one," because in order for your, it, in order for the morning star to rise in your heart, it has to happen in twilight. So here's my point with Jacob Nissan. I'm done. I promise. Most people don't realize that Jacob and Esau reconciled. And Jacob eventually looks at Esau and says, I see you like I'm seeing the face of God. You know when that happened? After Jacob wrestled with an angel who knocked his hip out of place, watch this, and left him with a limp that would not go away. And you know what time of day he wrestled? You know what time of day he went to meet Esau? At twilight. Some of the things you judge about yourself, ain't God ever going, it ain't ever going to go away. And you may look to everybody else who's light workers or righteous like you're walking with a limp that won't go away but the whole story is about the balancing of our energies so that we no longer become dehumanized by idealisms that have no basis in reality. And so maybe the real message of the cross is God saying, I accept the parts of you that everyone else rejects. And I will take that stuff and I will raise you out of the hell you've created for yourself through all your judgments and all your stuff. And I will energize your light to shine at twilight, the perfect blending of light and dark. Maybe that's, maybe between the right-hand path and the left-hand path, there's a middle path that brings harmony and beauty and balance into our lives. So please, guys, learn to love and accept yourself without judgment. Learn to be okay with whoever you are, wherever you are. And don't be afraid to actualize who you are, even if everybody, even if nobody else understands the path that you're taking. Is that okay? Let's close our eyes for just a minute. Let's just wait. Can you feel the, the power of that? Yes. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our hearts and minds. Mm. What if the parable of the lost sheep is about Jesus finding those exiled parts of you that you've judged and sent away? and bringing those parts back into your fold. (laughs) So Lord, yeah, I just sense that so strongly. I mean, that's the work that God's doing in so many of you. He's retrieving the sheep that you called the black sheep (laughs) and sent away. And those parts of you need healing and love. So whatever is coming up right now, For you that needs love, just be there in a posture of compassion, in a posture of total self acceptance, and realize that's your light. (laughs) It's your power. Blessings to you. Amen. Thank you for coming out and listening to this crazy preacher. (laughs) God bless you.